have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And we are going to read Philippians 3, verses 12 to 14 this morning. I was going to preach the rest of the chapter this morning. Uh, but after I started studying it, I decided that was too much for one sermon. I hear everybody say amen. Uh, so we'll uh, kind of split it in two. We're going to work from verses 12 to 14 this morning. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Imagine a conversation that you've probably overheard children, especially if you've worked with kids, you've probably heard them say, imagine two seven-year-old boys are standing on the side of a swimming pool, like over here in Fairview at the community center. They're at the side of that big pool, and one of the boys says, how far, ask the other boy, how far do you think it is to the other side of the pool? And the boy says, I don't know, probably 498 yards. And so the one boy says, well, it doesn't matter how far it is. I can jump from this side to the other side. And the, boy, the other boy says, no, you can't. But if you can do that, I can take a baseball and I can hit it. And I can drop the bat and put on my baseball glove. And I can run all the way out to the outfield and catch that ball before it ever hits the ground. Well, the other one says, well, I can do this. And the other one says, well, I can do that. And you all heard kids do that and say that. And it's fine when you're a child, but when you're 30 and you're still doing that, at some point in your time people say, you need to grow up. You need to act your age. You know that's not the truth. You know you can't jump that building in a single bound. You know that you need to grow up. Well, the same is true spiritually as well. Last week Paul told us about growing up in verses 10 and 11. When he says that it was my goal to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul is saying here that I am maturing. And when we look at Paul's life, we go back to revisit the case on when Paul was headed to Damascus on the Damascus Road and he saw the light and on that trip he met Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ convinced him that uh, his life was without hope, that he was unworthy of God, he was unfit for heaven and he was unable to rectify the situation. And what makes it so amazing for Paul and he talks about it throughout his New Testament writings is the fact that in spite of all the things that was a mess in Paul's life, Jesus Christ still hunted Paul down, revealed himself to Paul, and saved him. 
And this doesn't have anything to do with our sermon, but if you're here this morning and you're not, haven't, haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior, you need to know two things, and just two things. It's not as complicated as folks would like to make it. Number one, we all need to realize that we are great sinners, amen? We are great sinners, we are unworthy of God, we are unfit for heaven, and we're unable to rectify our circumstances. So number one, the one thing you need to know, and the one thing we all need to remember, is that we were and are great sinners. The second thing we need to know is that Christ is a great Savior. Even though we are great sinners, Jesus Christ is a great Savior. And as great a sinners as we are, Jesus Christ is even a greater Savior. He is the one who searches us out. He is the one who humbles us. And he is the one who saves us. Once we accept and we believe these two things, the Holy Spirit then comes into our life. And miraculously, and I can't explain how it happens, but we're born again from above. And we are regenerated, we're given a new heart, we're given a new mind, we're given a new will, and we start to take our first baby steps toward Christian maturity. Well, Paul has been walking this road a long, long time. Paul has become what we will call a senior Christian. I call them seasoned saints. Paul has become a seasoned saint. And so the question is, if we are all on our road this morning of maturing as Christians. How do we get there? What are some things that can help us? And Paul gives us some clues. First of all, he says in verse 1, he says for us to keep on, the race isn't over. Keep on, the race isn't over. Rereading verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also has laid hold of me. By the time Paul writes the church of Philippi, he's been on the road a long time. And he talks about the fact, man, I'm just keeping on going. I'm excited. I'm ready to claim my reward, the resurrection of the Lord. And if you're a baby Christian, that could be a little bit of a discouraging statement, wouldn't it? Do you ever look at people who have been Christians a long time and you think, man, I'll never be able to pray like that. We had a guy in our church when the preacher would call on him to pray, it, it sounded like God was praying. I mean, he had that deep voice and he was an eloquent speaker. And, and, it was a, and I remember as a boy saying, I'll never be able to pray like that. Or you'll listen to a Bible class teacher and say, I'll never be able to teach like that. Or even myself, I'll listen to Adrian Rogers and say, I'll never be able to preach like that. And we can get discouraged. So Paul, I think, realizes that. And he tells these Philippians in verse 12, he says, not that I have already arrived. He says, I'm not there yet. You know, it's a responsibility of Christian leadership and as a pastor. It's important for me to tell you that I am not a super Christian. I still struggle. I'm still on my way. I haven't attained yet. I'm working that way. But I still have a temper sometimes. I asked Marie yesterday. I said, why is it that some of the most unchristian thoughts I think sometimes come when I'm pushing a buggy through the grocery store? 
Don't you just want to sometimes tell folks to just get out of the way? Yeah. You know? Or you get behind a car that has the nerve to go 70 miles an hour in the left-hand lane. You know, go the speed limit. I haven't attained either. When I preach to you and say, we need to do this and we need to do, th to do that, I mean that we seriously. We're all in this together. We're all walking together. And I hope that when, when God, when I preach to you, God has been preaching to me all week. And so uh, I need to grow as well. I haven't attained. Paul says here, you guys, y'all don't think that I'm a super great Christian living perfectly every day. I haven't arrived yet either. And that is encouraging to me. I don't know about you, but it makes me feel good to hear Paul the Apostle, because Paul is my hero. He's one of my heroes. To hear him say that he hasn't arrived yet, I'm like, okay, so maybe there's hope for me after all. Especially when I've had one of those moments in the grocery store. Or I've had one of those moments behind someone else. We realize that it's our job just to ask God to forgive us and move on. Amen? Keep on pressing. Keep on moving. We can't get complacent and think we've arrived. Hear me well. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you are justified. You, we talked about that last week. You are made right. When is your standing before God is righteous, not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did. Jesus took your sin, Jesus took my sin, and he gave us his righteousness. We are justified. But y'all, we are a long way from glorified. Amen? One day, we, all, we will be perfect. One day, we will be in the image of Christ. One day, but that one day is not going to come until Jesus comes or calls. In the meantime, between the time we were born again and the time we are glorified, God is in the process of sanctifying us, of making us more like Jesus Christ. And that is the road that we are on. We have a race to run. Let's keep on, race, uh, keep on racing. The race isn't over. For so many Christians, they will trust Jesus as their Savior. They'll become Christians. And that's as far as they ever go. There's Christian, I call them Christian babies. They never grow up. They never mature spiritually. And just like those kids we talked about jumping over a 500-yard swimming pool, that's the way that they are spiritually when it comes to dealing with other Christians and dealing in their Christian life. We are on a race. Press on. We haven't gotten there yet. Number two, remember that we are called and kept safe by Jesus Christ. Remember that we are called and kept safe by Jesus Christ. That's the second part of verse 12 when he says, I want to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold on me. There's an emphasis in this phraseology about taking hold of something, of you taking hold of something and something or someone taking hold of you. Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Listen now, to be a Christian and to mature in Jesus Christ, that person has to be taken hold of by Jesus Christ. If you are a true Christian, Jesus Christ got a hold of you. I like to fish, and 
I do most of my fishing from the bank because I'm not a real good swimmer, so the middle of Kentucky Lake out of a boat is probably not where I need to be. But I like to fish. And one of the problems you have fishing in around the bank is chiggers. Y'all ever get into chiggers? I came home one day from fishing, and I had chiggers from the waist down. And I remember my dad saying, boy, those chickens, chiggers got a hold of you, didn't they? To be a Christian, Jesus Christ has to get a hold of us. To be a true Christian, we've got to be grabbed hold of by Jesus Christ. That's the real question that we need to ask ourselves is, has Jesus laid a hold of us? We don't need to be saying, am I involved in religious things? There's a lot of people involved in religious things, amen? There's a lot of people that read their Bible, go to church, take notes, put money in the collection plate, and live moral lives. But they've never been taken a hold of by Jesus Christ. They've never been changed by Jesus Christ. We don't need to be asking the question, am I attending religious observations? Am I attending religious festivals? I went to church on Christmas. I went to church on New Year's. A lot of people did that. That doesn't make them Christians. The question we need to re-ask our, our, we need to ask ourselves and to keep re-asking ourselves is have we responded to God's call and are we kept by Jesus Christ? Because let me tell you something. If Jesus Christ has gotten a hold of you, he's not going to let you go. Once Jesus grabs hold, he doesn't let go. Has Jesus Christ laid a hold of you? The faith that goes on to maturity is grounded in the call and the salvation of Jesus Christ and in the keeping power of Jesus Christ. If you are a true Christian, you will persevere to the end of your race. It doesn't mean you won't have to change your tennis shoes. It doesn't mean you won't trip and fall sometimes. It doesn't mean that there won't be hurdles in the way. But what it means is, and Paul told us in Philippians chapter 1, that the same Jesus Christ that began a work in us will finish a work in us. Jesus Christ doesn't start working on you just to turn you loose. You're his. We need to remember we are not saved under our own power and we do not stay saved under our own power. Amen? Because i got news for y'all. I'm not strong enough and good enough and smart enough to save myself. And I'm also not good enough, strong enough, and smart enough to keep myself saved. I tend to mess up. Left to my own devices, I get lost. If you and I go on a long trip together, if you let me drive, chances are we'll get lost once or twice before it's over. That's the way I tend to, that's the way I roll. And spiritually, that's the way we all roll, amen? It is our, there's a nature within us that pulls us away from God. But he, I'm not strong enough to overcome that, but he is, praise the Lord. We are kept by Jesus Christ. We are called and kept safe by Jesus Christ. Press on. Now, let me say this. With all that being said, that doesn't relieve us of our responsibilities. Paul says, I press on. 
But what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is every morning we wake up. We need to pray to the Lord and thank Him for waking us up. Do y'all do that? Do we realize that when we wake up in the morning, it's because God woke us up? And if He woke us up, if He's done with you, He's going to call you home. If He woke us up, He has something for you to do if you belong to Him that day. Every day, it's our job to pray, Lord, thank you for waking me up. Keep me in your will today. Use me. Let me be the kind of person you would have me to be. It is our job to press on. That job, press on, means to keep moving forward. When I was involved in marching band, our band director kept saying, he said, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Now, his favorite word is one, one more time. His one more time is kind of like a preacher saying in conclusion. You know, it's kind of like which one more time. But he would say, do it again, do it again, do it again. And we got tired and we were wore out. But we did it again. And when the end of the year came, we were state champions. Because you do it again, you do it again, you do it again. And then those of us that went on to be in music, our band director said, your kids aren't going to want to practice. They're not going to want to. It's our nature to want to goof off. He said, "You got to make them." He said, "You got to make them press on. You got to make them keep going." A few years ago, our band director passed away, and we had a the, the band director there now had a memorial for him in the band room. And so I saw kids that I haven't seen since we were in band thirty years together, and we were all. My daughter went with us. She was involved in her high school band. And uh, so right out of the clear blue, our drum major from 40 years ago yells and calls us to attention. And just like that, there was silence in the room. Everybody stopped moving. And my daughter, she said, y'all do that better 30 years later than we do every day. It's because we kept pressing on. That's what Mr. Van Dyke expected us to do. You see, the Savior that saved us doesn't, re even though He saves us and He keeps us saved, it doesn't relieve us from our responsibilities. We have the responsibility to press on, keep on going. And y'all, I know it gets tough. I know it gets hard. I know we live in a crazy world right now. We are going through things we've never had to go through before. But you know what our job is? Press on. Keep on going. Remember, God's got this. Whatever it is you're going through, God's got it. A friend of mine put on Facebook the other day that she was getting ready to have surgery. She was really scared. I said, you've got, I said, remember two things. You've got this and God's got you. We need to remember that. We are called and we are kept by Jesus Christ. Number three, verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind. Don't look back. Paul says, I'm not perfect yet. I haven't got a hold of it yet. I haven't attained that resurrection life with Jesus yet. But this one thing I do, I'm going to forget those things that are behind me. Paul chose and he understood that one of the marks of Christian maturity is 
not looking behind, and it's in looking ahead. So many Christians stumble on their journey because they are constantly looking back. One of the first things a football or a track coach will tell you is if you are running, do not look behind you. It will slow you down. That's why a lot of times you'll get aggra- or I'll get aggravated watching the football players, especially a defensive back that's tried, he's gotten a step or two behind the receiver and the ball's thrown and he doesn't even know it's coming because he knows he, not, he can't look back because he'll lose ground. If y'all go to the mountains and go hiking and a bear starts chasing you, don't look back. (laughs) If you're on your Christian life and Satan is chasing you and he is, don't look back. Because you know if a bear is chasing you and you look back, a couple of things bad can happen. Number one, you could be looking back and fall over a tree root. Isn't that what always happens in movies? You know, somebody's running away from a killer and they trip over a tree root. It all it happens all the time. I'm thinking they would think look down when you're running a little every now and then. But another thing you could see when you turn around is see that bear right as he's ready to bite your leg. Satan is after us, y'all. He's pursuing us. Don't look back. In our spiritual pilgrimage. The evil one is pleased when we live looking lies over our shoulder. When we live in the gloomy days, those days where you struggle. I'm 57 years old, and you don't get to be 57 years old without having some regrets in your life. If you've lived very long at all, you don't get to be your age and not have regrets in your life. Y'all, you can't change them. Even though you might wish you could go back and do it differently, you can't change them. And think of this. All those regrets of your past life have led you right here this morning. Right? We are where we are. Don't go back and say, oh, my past. Living in the past will kill you. You'll get better towards yourself. You'll get better toward your family your friends, your job, former co-workers, whatever it was, that whoever hurt you in the past, whatever mistakes you made in the past, whatever you did in the past, Paul says, forget those things. Those things will trip you up in this race. But not only will bad things in the past trip you up, you can relieve your glory days. There are a lot of churches right now living in the 1980s. He talked to him and said, oh, you should have seen the ministry we had. And that we, 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 had, we had all these kids. We had a bus ministry. We, we had this. We had that. You should have seen us in 1980. Y'all, it's 2021. You should have seen me when I was 20. And now you're 50. And you hadn't done anything for 20 years because you've been living in the glory of yesterday. Athletes have a hard time leaving their sports behind from what I understand, what I've read and heard. Uh, when they retire from football, basketball, baseball, whatever, they are the center of attention. Glory is all on them. And then when they get older and people, they look at them differently. Don't dwell on what happened yesterday. 
I want to go through a scenario with you. What if I wake up two days ago and I pray, Lord, let me overcome Satan's temptations today, and I do. And boy, I had a good day today. I, me and the Lord, we got this. I'm not going to trip and fall. I'm not. I look, boy, look what happened on Thursday. And then you get to Monday, and another temptation comes up. You can't live on what happened Thursday because now you're facing it again on Monday. Now what you can do is say, I won on Thursday, I can win again today. But Thursday's victory is not going to be Monday's victory. It can help you with Monday's victory. But you can't dwell in the past. When you're running, y'all, don't look back. Remember what happened to Lot's wife when he looked back? He turned into a pillar of salt, right? Or she turned into a pillar of salt. In the Sunday school class, the teacher says, Lot's wife turned around and turned into a pillar of salt. And the little boy said, that's nothing. My mama was driving and she turned around and turned into a telephone pole. <laughs> Don't look back. Number four, focus on the future. Verse 13, he says, this one thing I do, Forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. It's not enough to just not look back. We have to look ahead. We have to look to the future. I believe, y'all, with all my heart, that old New Hope's greatest days are in front of us. I believe we've got a city of lost folks that are going to come to Jesus Christ. I believe we're on the verge of that, the way our world is headed and the way our world is going. We can't look behind and we can't just be satisfied with saying, well, here I am in church, I'm doing good today. We have to be looking, what about the future? Paul says, this one thing I do, I forget the things that are behind and I press on, he uses that word again, I press on to the things that are coming. I press on to the things that are future. I like to take canoe rides down the Piney River where I used to live. And about halfway down the river from our house to where we take out is the most beautiful section of the Piney River. And I love that. It's, it's, it's nice and deep. You can swim. You can fish. It has a great shoreline where you can stop and eat and uh, just really enjoy the river and really enjoy nature. But you know, I just can't stop and stay there for the whole trip. I've got half a trip ahead of me. And I remember one time we had made this trip, and I said, man, I hate to go forward from here. I said, this is the climax of the trip. Why couldn't this be at the end? And uh, Ann said, you'll never know. We might see something better. And so we got in our canoes. We headed back down the river. And... Right before we got to the end of the canoe trip, we saw a family of otters. And I'd never seen otters on the Piney River before. And we also saw three bald eagles in the tree. And that became the highlight of our trip. If I had stayed right here at the other place, it was great, it was wonderful. I'd have missed what God had for us in the future. Amen? Look forward to the future. As old New Hope, we can't look to the past of what she used to be. 
If we do, we'll miss on what God has in store for in the future. I'm looking forward to our journey together where God's going to take us. Because I believe we're going to hit heights that none of us have experienced. And it's not because of us, it's because of God. But I think we have a church of God's people ready to let God work through them. And show us what God can do with a church full of people that are with him and been grabbed hold of. I don't want to get grabbed a hold of by triggers, but I would love to get grabbed a hold of by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Focus on the future. And finally, we need a goal. Verse 14. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. Well, I went ahead to verse, we're going to stop at verse 14. I intended to tie verse 15 into it. But verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. Verse 14 is the heart of this passage. Everything before it, or this chapter, everything before it leads to verse 14. Everything after it points back to verse 14. Paul states his goal. He's a goal. I like Paul. He's a goal setter. I like a guy with a plan. That's what he has. He states his goals all the time throughout his letters. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, it's my goal to win as many as possible. In Colossians 1, he says, it's my goal to present everyone perfectly matured in Christ. In Philippians 3.18, he says, it's my goal to know Christ. Philippians 3.14 says, it's my goal to win the prize. My goal is to grab that prize that's waiting for me at the end. Y'all, heaven is waiting for us if we've trusted Jesus as our Savior. That's our goal. Don't lose sight of the goal. The first year we won the band state championship, the next year, every rehearsal, our band director took the governor's cup and put it on the drum major's podium. He said, this is the goal. And we won that goal two more times my junior and senior year. And then after us, the band won it seven of the next ten years. We were able to build something because we kept that goal in front of us. What is your goal today? What is your goal this week? This month? This year? This life? What are you pressing toward? I'm going to leave you with this thought that I read from David Jeremiah this week. When we know we are heaven bound, our loved ones over there, our investments over there, our Savior over there, our affections over there, only then will we be happy over here. And I thought that was terrific. Our goal is over there, y'all. We're just passing through. Y'all remember the song? I don't think it's in it. It might be in the red book. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me through heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Have you started your Christian journey? If you haven't, you need to know two things. You need to know you're a great sinner. All of us who have trusted Jesus realize the same thing. 
And you also need to read and, no ma- read and remember and realize that no matter how great your sin is, Jesus Christ is a greater Savior. You can't out-sin Jesus' love and Jesus' grace and the blood of Christ. Admit you're a sinner, say, Lord, save me, I can't save myself, and he will. Maybe you've done that and you've got tired of living your race and so you just sat down. You ever done that when you're just tired? You said, I just can't take any more and just sit. Maybe that's the way you've done. Can I encourage you to wake up? Can I encourage you to keep on racing? Can I encourage you to get on a new pair of shoes and join the race with us? Don't stop yet. There'll come a time you can stop when we get there. But as the kids always ask, are we there yet? We're not. Some of us are closer than others. We don't know what what we are, though. That's the crazy thing about life. We don't know how long it's going to lead. But let's live it. Or let's live it living for Jesus. That's hard to say. Let's live our lives living for Jesus. Don't look back. I don't care what your past is. Don't worry about it. If you've been asked for forgiveness for it, Jesus has forgiven you for it. Don't get hung on your glory days that you're still living in today. Look forward to the future. Let's pray.